0: Are we ready to open next month? I think so. You think so? Well, it's complicated. Fire protection, first aid supplies, uniforms, safety training, mat services. Oh, and restroom supplies. So uncomplicated. Call CentOS. They'll handle all of it. Wow. One company can handle all that? That's not very complicated. So, you'll be ready? Oh, we'll be ready. Oh, I'm ready. Learn how CentOS can help you get ready for the workday. Visit CentOS.com. Hey folks, this is Greg Allman with the Tampa Bay Times and Bay.com, back on the Locked on Bucks podcast, episode 60. Going here on a Friday morning as we head out to uh, San Francisco. Uh, Bucks have a three-hour flight west, oh, it probably takes more than three hours, sorry, a three-hour time difference going west to uh, San Francisco. Uh, as they did with Arizona, they're going to go out today, kind of hoping to have 24 hours more to uh, get their... West Coast bearings and everything before uh, they play on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Lots to get to to regroup uh, and recap a busy Thursday for you guys. Uh, Bucks go this morning uh, at 10.20, so we'll have updates this morning on the final injury reports uh, in terms of who's practicing, who's not practicing. I don't know that they're going to rule too many people out. Uh, Maybe Doug Martin... Uh, I guess they could rule out Robert Ayers maybe. didn't even do that last week. Uh, but probably a lot of questionable, a lot of doubtful types today on the injury report. But just to give you the update from Thursday's practice in terms of injuries and updates, mm. uh, the big news for the Bucks was that Clinton McDonald was back at practice. Uh, big help that they can have him on Sunday. Uh, Clinton had the hamstring injury uh, the week before Carolina did not play against the Panthers Uh, But was back practicing in a limited capacity on Thursday. Uh, If he can go and Gerald McCoy comes back, that gives the Bucs both of their starting defensive tackles back, which is huge, uh, especially at the line of scrimmage against the run, trying to uh, make San Francisco a one-dimensional team, trying to take away some of Colin Kaepernick's scrambling. Um, Robert Ayers is still out. And then the other news from an injury standpoint on Thursday is that Lewis Murphy was not out there at practice. This is one of those where we only see the first half hour of a given Buccaneers practice. Um, Murphy, obviously coming back from an ACL surgery in November, had practiced on Monday and Wednesday, was doing very well, Um, was not there Thursday. And this could be uh, a normal, uh, preventative, preemptive, take a day off, don't do too much on that newly uh, repaired knee. Uh, But anyway, we asked Dirk Cutter. Dirk clarified that he was at practice later Would not say whether he practiced or not, just said he was there. So uh, that could be nothing at all. Uh, That could be a setback. We don't know. Uh, As we had mentioned earlier in the week, to me, the fact that they had promoted Dante Dye from the practice squad as a sixth receiver uh, told me not to expect Lewis Murphy to play this weekend. They don't usually have six receivers dressed. It's usually four or five. So to bring Dante up and take up a spot in the 53-man roster, to me, was acknowledging that Murphy was not going to be ready to come back in, week, in, in his first week back to practice. So the Bucks, as far as I know, the Bucks are going to have Mike Evans, Adam Humphreys, uh, Russell Shepard, Cecil Short back from that hamstring of his own. He's missed four weeks. And then Dante dies to fifth. That would be my expectation. Uh, this team surprises me on a regular basis, so uh, certainly could. The other new name uh, that's a little bit of a concern, anytime someone jumps on the injury report in the middle of the week— uh, it was Jude Ajay Barima, the Bucs uh, slot corner, their nickel corner, uh, who has a knee injury and was limited by the knee injury. We'll see if he goes today. Uh, if he doesn't, uh, that sets them back. You know, the Bucks do have this ridiculous wealth of unused cornerbacks on their bench in that Verner and Banks, uh, Altron Werner and Jonathan Banks, and even Josh Robinson have gone, uh, Banks and Robinson have gone all year, just as special teams players. Uh, They're making like, I don't know, $1.7 and $2 million to not play defense. Uh, So they have depth specifically for the purpose of having capable cornerbacks available when they need them. Um, Whether they... It sounds like the plan is to keep Vernon Hargraves on the outside. He very much seems to prefer not having to worry about cross-training, going inside and outside and changing in the defense, but lining up outside at all times, so now it's like the Bucks could bring Werner in as the slot corner. That would make the most sense. Uh, but they also have, as I said, Banks and Robinson available to them as well. Uh, or it could be the Jude's fine. But right now, uh, we'll be curious today to see how Jude is doing on that. Uh, 49ers, obviously we had mentioned that Carlos Hyde has been out with a shoulder injury. That's a big break for the Bucs because uh, he's probably what they do best on offense. Uh, there's a significant drop-off to his backups who have... I don't know, 45 yards between them this season, have not uh, been able to do very much at all, running the ball. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, If they bring up a back, if if Hyde can't go and they bring up a third back, both the guys they could bring up off the practice squad have local ties. Uh, They have a guy named Juwan Harris who's from Brooksville. Uh, If you're from the Tampa area, Brooksville is two counties north of Tampa in Hernando County. Uh, I started out at the times in Hernando County covering high school football in Hernando, Uh, and, and Harris has been up and down with them. Uh, but right now he's on their practice squad. Could get uh, a look to be up and active as the number three running back. If it's not him, it uh, could be Kelvin Taylor, uh, who was a draft pick out of Florida. That's Fred Taylor's son. Uh, Late-round draft pick. Probably shouldn't have left early. Uh, but uh, still in the Niners, Niners organization and could be called up uh, to play against the Bucks as a number three running back on Sunday. Uh, a couple other things we want to get to. some Actually, some some quirky things that we didn't really get to during the week here. Uh, I think I'd mentioned it briefly, but Dirk Cutter. Uh, neat to see Dirk Cutter going back to San Francisco because he got his first college football coaching job in 1985 at San Francisco State. I uh, got a chance to ask him yesterday about that. Uh, really neat. Just Division II program. One season he's there, a three-man staff that just happens to also include Andy Reid, who's successful NFL head coach Uh, so one division two school 30 years ago manages to yield a pair of NFL head coaches Uh, Dirk was funny just talking about his memories of being a young uh, I guess he would have been like 26 years old a kid from Pocatello Idaho uh, you know thrust into the big city in San Francisco Uh, was talking about how you know it's the 1980s in San Francisco so these student protests and apartheid demonstrations and all this kind of stuff San Francisco State actually folded their football program in 94 uh, and was modest enough as a program that Dirk said he remembered uh, the coaches would literally sell hot dogs on the quad on Thursdays each week to help uh, raise money for the football program. Not something you see today in college football, but uh, sold hot dogs on the quad to help. uh, He said an expensive recruiting decision was whether to buy a kid lunch when he came on campus. So it didn't have a big budget. Uh, he would go on with Andy Reid to UTEP, to Missouri, uh, and then obviously to bigger things from there. But just neat to hear him talk about uh, his year at San Francisco State. Made $24,000, uh, which actually, if you translate it to $1985, isn't is bad money now. The cost of living in San Francisco is always crazy high. Uh, but uh, also had to teach five classes while at San Francisco State to talk advanced tennis and advanced volleyball and uh, weightlifting. Uh, was neat. Like he said, uh, like found out that he was going to get uh, reviewed. You know, like they do these faculty reviews, make sure you're doing a good job in your class. And he had to like ramp up his level of uh, volleyball instruction. You know, instead of just kind of letting it go and have you know a free open tournament, had to sit down and talk about rules and, and this and strategy. Uh, which is neat because Dirk's family is very much a viable family. His wife Kim uh, played volleyball at Idaho State. Uh, his daughter. Uh, Kaylee is an assistant volleyball coach now at the University of Tampa, um, had played there, and his daughter Kendra is a volleyball player at Georgia Southern. Uh, his son Derek had even uh, been a student manager on the Missouri volleyball team, so a lot of volleyball in the Cutter family, as much as it's a football family uh, between he and his dad and his brother, all coaches. Uh, this generation of Cutters are very much a volleyball family, so need to hear him talking about that. I uh, want to make sure I, I did not bring this up yesterday, but uh, each each week... Um, we get one player and one coach from the visiting team that do a teleconference with Tampa area media. And then the opposite media in San Francisco this week, uh, they get the head coach and they get one player. Y- usually you kind of ask for the quarterback. It's almost uh, cliche that you ask for the quarterback. So Jameis Winston was the uh, opponent interview for the San Francisco media. You guys might have seen this, but I thought it was wild in that he... Basically second-guessed his decision to go to FSU. Uh, Jameis had been recruited by Stanford, uh, had grades good enough to get into Stanford, took a visit out there, ultimately decided to go to FSU, Uh, but when they asked him how close it was, uh, this is something that was very close. He said he ends up choosing FSU, uh, but did it, was not aware of just how prestigious Stanford was, uh, how much it would have meant for him to surround himself with those kind of people, and had friends that were in the recruiting class at Stanford. Uh, so kinda taking a dig at Florida State and doing this. Uh, this is twice now that Jameis has done that. He had the deal, I don't know, last year, or year before, uh, where he's raving about the facilities at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and uh, you know said they never had facilities like that at FSU. And you kind of just see Jimbo Fisher back in his office, like looking online and just holding his head like Jameis, why are you saying why are you doing this? Uh, It does not help them in their recruiting efforts. It's great to have the number one overall pick in the NFL representing your school. He's done great things for Florida State, winning him a national title, Heisman Trophy, all that. But uh, it's not often you hear somebody publicly say they wish they had gone in a different direction and gone to a different school, uh, as he stopped just short of saying with the uh, San Francisco media. So uh, anyway, just want to get to that. A couple other things. We did the five things to watch for the Sunday paper Uh, A couple things there, you know, we've had a lot of talk about this Chip Kelly offense. Uh, If you go back to his time in Philadelphia, when he first got there, especially, all all the rage was this up-tempo, a whole lot of plays, going to try and wear defenses down. Um, And again, to to his credit, in Philadelphia, uh, led the NFL in in offensive plays in 2014, second last year. Uh, So far, in San Francisco, really not the case. They're, They're 14th in plays per game. It's about 64 a game right now. Buccaneers are actually second. They've had enough of those games where they get way behind and have to throw like crazy. Uh, the Buccaneers are the ones averaging 70.6 plays per game. Uh, so, again, the, the, I think there's an up-tempo nature to what he does. I don't think it's as glaring in San Francisco uh, as it was in Philadelphia. Part of that is, is that they're not a very effective offense. They're dead last in total offense, dead, dead last in uh, passing offense. Um, very much a struggling offensive team right now. A lot of that's a, a new scheme. Uh, some personnel they're missing. Uh, they're 25th in the league on third downs. They only hit about 38, per, 35% there. Um, so again, I, I think as much as we have heard about this offense being a challenge, and Gerald McCoy was talking about how you definitely prepare for having to be on the field more, not having time to sub as much, having to have some versatility within your defensive packages. But... Uh, Like, San Francisco's time of possession right now is uh, 26 minutes and 9 seconds a game. That's third lowest in the NFL, which kind of speaks to uh, quick hit, not a lot of grind the offense, just kind of go down the field, quick hit, no huddle type thing. But honestly, last year when Chip Kelly wasn't the coach of San Francisco, they were at 26 minutes and 23 seconds. So they're only 14 seconds different than they were last year with a whole different system. So I don't want you guys to think that it's some uh, amazing, game-changing game changing high-paced offense they're going to face there. I uh, had talked a little bit about this during the week, but uh, the Bucks are one of five teams in the NFL uh, yet to give up a touchdown to a tight end this year, uh, which is a little bit intriguing just because uh, I know the memory you guys have in your head with Bucks defense and tight end is Greg Olson with Carolina just running wild all over this defense. Had uh, nine catches for 181 yards in that Monday night game. Uh, but up to that point, the Bucks have given up a total in four games of 12 catches for 115 yards. So tight ends very much a non-factor against the Bucks until that Monday night. Uh, again, they have not allowed them in the end zone yet. Uh, Niners have okay tight ends. Uh, Vance McDonald, a uh, former high draft pick for them, uh, had a 75-yard touchdown. So you kind of worry about that. Uh, that came against Carolina. But... Beyond that, I mean, Vance McDonald has 43 yards the rest of the season. Uh, they've got Garrett Selleck, uh, his brother played for the uh, Eagles in Cincinnati. Garrett there's a lot of catches with 20 yards, but 20, yard, 20 catches for 135 yards, so not even 7 yards a catch. Very much just a, a dump-off uh, screen-type option for them. So I don't know that that's really a concern. I was intrigued as we sit here and try and figure out what the Bucs will do Uh, to try and replace the production of Vincent Jackson in their first game without him now that he's on injured reserve with a knee. Uh, We wrote today about the options at receiver. Obviously, a couple different guys that could step up there. You have Cecil Shorts coming back after a month off with a hamstring. I I don't think you'll have Lewis Murphy, but he's an option. Adam Humphreys obviously has been pretty much their number two receiver. Uh, I think he stays in the slot. I think he probably gets a few more balls his way. Uh, And then you have Dante Dye as well. Dante Dye, a guy that... Uh, got called up, was signed back to the practice squad Monday, promoted to the uh, 53-man roster on Wednesday. Uh, Dante started five games last year, so I mean he's going to have a chance to have passes thrown his way. Uh, when you think about the Bucks trying to exploit a defense with speed, Dante Dye is probably their best option for that. Uh, the guy I think benefits the most, and the guy I expect to have a good game on Sunday, uh, however, is Cameron Bray. Uh, You know, now the Bucks' number one tight end. He has seen Austin Severin Jenkins get cut. He's seen Vincent Jackson get hurt. To where he's now the number two big target for this team. Uh, they lined, if you've watched this team, they certainly line Cam up a lot like a receiver. He's much more likely to be uh, in that hybrid H-type role where you're a tight end, just staggered off to the side of the line of scrimmage, rather than an inline hand hand-on-the-ground blocking tight end. Uh, And the other thing that makes me think he's going to do well is the fact that the 49ers have struggled against tight ends this year. Uh, Greg Olson, as we mentioned, against the Bucs, went for five catches for 122 yards and a touchdown against them. Jimmy Graham, again, a very good tight end, had six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. uh, Against the Cowboys, Jason Witten led the Cowboys with seven catches for 47 yards. Against the Bills, Charles Clay, their tight end. Led the Bills with five catches for 52 yards. So a lot of tight ends have run free. When you look at this defense, uh, they haven't let a lot of number two and number three receivers beat them this year. They have had a lot of tight ends do well against them. So uh, as much as I think guys like Humphreys and other receivers could step up, I think it's more likely you see Cameron Brait get 8-10 to targets, get much more involved in the passing game. Uh, When they get in the red zone, especially the low red zone, which is what Dirk Cutter calls inside the 10-yard line, They like their tight ends there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Myers gets a look there. Uh, Brandon Myers spent his first four years in the NFL in the Bay Area with Oakland. Uh, Kind of a homecoming for him on that. Uh, Even, honestly, even Luke Stocker. They get Luke Stocker back. And as much as we talk about Luke Stocker as a blocking tight end, as a guy that's going to help their run game, uh, in a short yardage type thing, you line him up in that blocking back role, and he releases, and he's he's a guy that could get open. Um, You know, you think back to... Uh, them trying to get the ball even to Goster Sherylis as a jumbo tight end earlier this season. I think you'll see the tight end, uh, especially in the red zone, be something the Bucks do uh, a lot with this week on Sunday. Guys, this should wrap things up. I think we've covered just about everything to catch up on things. Uh, we will probably have a later Monday podcast. I was trying to figure out the logistics. I'm taking a red eye back from California Sunday night. And short of me like recording that overnight in an airport somewhere, which would be a possibility it's more likely it's going to be something I do when I get home. I think I get home at, uh, like nine, nine thirty Monday morning. So a little bit later than usual for you morning commute listeners. Uh, and I apologize for that, but, uh, I, I would expect to have that money podcast a little bit later, just logistically, since I can't really, uh, record this on a plane. Uh, we leave San Francisco around ten thirty Sunday night, uh, can wrap everything's up, wrap everything up, get a nice dinner in San Francisco on the way out of town and, and probably just go that way. But, uh, like I said, either going to record that, strangely, uh, sitting in a terminal in a layover somewhere on the way back home or uh, or here in Tampa when I get back home. Thank you guys for listening. I uh, hope it's a good week. I'm actually looking forward as much to the travel this week as the game. San Francisco, I've never been there before. Uh, so really excited about seeing the city on Saturday. Kind of get a day to, there's no access on an NFL Saturday. So day to take in everything, the bridge and uh, Alcatraz and the Barcadero and everything else like that. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, San Francisco should be fun that way. Uh, Nice to have some cooler temperatures. Should be between like 55 and 65 degrees the whole weekend, which is awesome. Uh, To be packing long sleeves. Uh, Haven't worn a lot of those this fall here in Tampa. Thank you guys for listening. This will wrap things up. Uh, Episode 60 in the book. 60 podcasts. That's amazing. Thank you guys for listening, uh, listening to the end of these podcasts and subscribing and telling your friends and, and building the audience we have. I really appreciate that. We will be back on Monday with lots of news and recaps from this game at San Francisco, uh, getting ready for three home games in a row after, uh, after the Bucks finish up in San Francisco. That'll wrap it up for the Tampa Bay Times and Bay.com. This is Greg Alman. Thanks again for listening to the Locked on Bucks podcast. We'll be back on Monday. What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye singing dog. Bye goal. I pronounce you. Bye wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.